Well, it's an honor to be here. I appreciate the privilege of being in the service. I appreciate the preaching of Brother Goodson. Uh, it, I met Brother Goodson a few years ago, but I I knew his dad. Matter of fact, Brother Roy Goodson preached for me as a young preacher, and I cherished his friendship, and he was a blessing to me. And I appreciate prayer. Prayer is one of the greatest privileges that we as the people of God have the ability to go into the throne room of God. And one of the greatest blessings that we have as God's children is be the recipients of some other's prayers. I had a friend, his name was Kevin, who went home to be with the Lord about three months ago. And Kevin was about his middle 50s, I guess. He and his wife had been members of our congregation and had to move away to help their family. And they'd been gone about three years, and Kevin came down with a disease similar to ALS, the disease where you just lose all control of your body to be able to move and to be able to do anything. And about a year ago, I got a text from Kevin. They, of course, he was shut in, not able to go out anymore. And they would watch our live stream services there at the church and got a text and it was a picture of a wall, much like this wall right here. And the paint was wore off in one streak across it there. And I, I was confused when I got that picture. And Kevin sent this text. He said, Preacher, he said, I, I need to explain this picture. He said, you know, I physically, I can't do what I used to do. And he said, I can't even get up and down on my knees now to pray. But he said, this picture is my prayer altar. It's the, it's the bathroom wall behind my bathroom door. I go in there and I close the door. And he said, Preacher, I can't hold my head up anymore. So I just stand next to the wall and lay my head on the wall. And he, had, he told me, he said, this wall's been painted three times this year. And it had worn the paint off of the wall where he'd stood with his head against the wall. And this is what was the most powerful thing that touched me. He said... Preacher, I just want you to know that sometimes in unlikely places there's people praying for you and praying for the church and praying for your family. And here's a man who couldn't even hold up his head, but he stood with his head against the wall and he prayed for me. I, God moved my heart. I and I said, I, I want to do something to remember Kevin. And I begin to pen the words to a new song. I've not even got music where I can play it today. But I'm going to sing a little bit of Kevin's song to you today. The battle rages on and there's no end in sight. You feel too weak to stand or even win this fight. Battered by your broken thoughts, your life seems all but through. But in unlikely places, someone's praying for you. 
a prayer that's born in weakness sends a strength so unaware. A prayer from a helpless one tells us that God still cares. Prayers from a broken heart can help make all things new. Cause in unlikely places, someone's praying for you. Hidden prayers bring help down from above. Hidden prayers that cover us with love. Fighting in your battle, our friends so tried and true. And in unlikely places, someone's praying for you. I felt those silent prayers oh so many times while looking at a mountain that it seemed I couldn't climb. But when the clouds had parted, I had a clearer view cause in unlikely places, someone's praying for you. I'm glad that there are people today and we've all felt those prayers. I appreciate that preaching, Brother Goodson. That's a a blessing. I saw a little bit of your daddy in you today, and that blessed my soul. I'm honored to be here, Brother Ronnie. uh, I'm with him, and Brother Merritt messaged me and asked me if I would preach if we came, and this was my response. I said, if you think you can trust the judgment of Ronnie Bearfield, I said, I'll be happy to. So apparently he believes he can. I told him last night up there at the church, I had never preached in Mississippi until Brother Ronnie called me. I'd never met Brother Ronnie. And he called me and said, Preacher, can you come and fill in for Joe Arthur? I told him I've built a good ministry down through the years filling in for Joe Arthur and Ralph Sexton Jr. All because them boys are undependable. I've built a ministry. I've developed name recognition all because because they were not dependable. And uh, anyway, they're my friends, so I'm just joking with that. But I told him when I got out there, I asked Joe, I said, Joe, I don't know any of these people out here. I said, I've never been here. I said, what am I doing here? And Joe looked at me in, in typical Joe Arthur fashion. He said, well, Leonard, it's like this. He said, you've got a good name and you don't do stupid stuff. So I'm going to do my best to keep that streak intact of not doing stupid stuff uh, today. Brother Merritt, I appreciate you being here. I appreciate uh, being able to preach. Job chapter 36. I want to give you just a simple thought. It won't take you long to figure out. I'm I'm not a deep preacher, but I, I try to do what God would have me to do. Job chapter 36, and I want to begin reading in verse number 26. I don't have to tell you about the story of Job's life, a man that went through many things that none of us would desire to go through. And the entirety of the book of Job basically is Job and his friends trying to figure out why things have happened like they are, trying to find answers. I've been in those situations in my life, and there's times that it didn't seem like there was an answer to be found. Job even said in one place, he said, God hath fenced up my way that I cannot pass. Now you are in a real bad place when the way you had planned to go, you can no longer go that way. And Job was in that such state 
in his life. And here in this chapter, and I, I don't know if I'm blowing something up here or not. Here in this chapter, in verse number 26, one of Job's friends is musing here, and he's talking to Job, and he says this, Behold, God is great, and we know him not, neither can the number of his years be searched out. For he maketh small the drops of water, they pour down rain according to the vapor thereof, which the clouds do drop and distill upon man abundantly. Also can any understand the spreadings of the clouds or the noise of his tabernacle? Behold, he spreadeth his light upon it and covereth the bottom of the sea. For by them judgeth he the people, he giveth meat in abundance." With clouds he covereth the light and commandeth it not to shine by the cloud that cometh betwixt. The noise thereof showeth concerning it, the cattle also concerning the vapor. Father, thank you for the reading of your word. And I pray that you'd help us for just a few moments today. And Lord, thank you for this privilege to be in this place. And Lord, we ask you now just to meet every need that might be here today. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in the scripture that I've read, one of Job's friends is musing about God. And he begins there in verse 26. He said, Behold, God is great, and we know him not, and neither can the number of his years be searched out. And then he makes a statement, and if you would pass over this, and really, if you don't really think about this, but it says in verse 27, For he maketh small the drops of water. You know, I'm glad God sends the rain. But what wouldn't it have been something if God had dropped it in five-gallon buckets? It had been a damaging thing to us, but God makes small the drops of water. And I'm glad that he does that. But he comes down and he says this. He said, which the clouds do drop and distill upon man abundantly. And he asked this question. He said, also, can any understand the spreadings of the clouds or the noise of his tabernacle? In verse 32, he said, with clouds he covereth light. In other words, he's saying to Job, he said, Job, we can't understand when the clouds come. We can't understand when storms come into our life and block out the light and we can't see God. We can't understand those. We don't know when they're coming and we don't even know when they're leaving. And he said, but God's great and we, we don't understand him, but God's in the middle of it all. And I'm glad that there is a God that when things are not clear, in our life that he's a God that's still on the throne. Many years ago, I was in a revival meeting in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And that's about a two-hour and something drive from my house. And I, I was driving back and forth each night, two hours each way. And I live in the mountains of northeast Tennessee, high up the altitude there. And, of course, uh, when I would leave to go to Winston-Salem, it was a downhill uh, trod all the way and a uh, good highway. I've traveled it many times over the years and a uh, very good highway that you could uh, travel and be okay with it. And I had finished out the meeting on Friday night and I was um, getting ready to head back home. And I knew, of course, I was going to be climbing the mountain to go back. And I'd heard on the radio that that night there was some rain supposed to come into the mountains. And I knew what that meant as I was climbing the mountain, I knew there was a possibility I was going to encounter fog on the mountain. As I began to study this passage, you, you do realize that fog is nothing more than a cloud that touches the earth. 
And so at that night as I was traveling on the journey, everything had been well and I was on cruise control and man, I was going along just fine. But about halfway up the mountain as I'm headed toward Boone, North Carolina, about halfway up the mountain, all of a sudden I came into a fog bank that was so thick you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. I'll be honest with you, it was a, it was a little unnerving. I don't know about you, but I don't like being in a foggy time. I don't like when things are not clear. I, I like to be able to see the path. I like to be able to see the journey. And that night, all of a sudden, my journey had been disrupted by a fog that I didn't really see coming. I thought about how Job's life is. A lot of times we will encounter troubles and trials in this life that will come suddenly like that fog did. We, we know there's a possibility of it being there, but somehow or another when it happens to us, that's something that's supposed to happen to other people. But we all will face some foggy times in life. I, I thought about that when you think about the idea of that fog. There was something about being in that fog that, that night that gave me a feeling of being separated from everybody else. When you're in a fog, you can't see nobody else but yourself. Matter of fact, that night as I was tra- driving, I knew there were other people on the road, but I couldn't see none of them. I got news for you. That's what the enemy wants to do to every one of us. He wants you to feel like you are all alone in what you're facing in this life. And boy, I tell you, sometimes you even get suspicious when you get in a foggy time of life. That night I had driven that road all week long and hadn't had any problems whatsoever. But suddenly I'm in a fog bank and I slow down because I'm worried there might be something in the road that I can't see. How many times does that happen to us in our life Even as preachers many times, the devil is good at erecting straw men out there in the future that will never materialize and get our focus on something we think is going to happen when really it never will materialize in our life. I begin to think about that and I'm preaching very quickly today on this thought on some things to remember when you find yourself in a fog. I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but I've spent a lot of time in those places in my life. Matter of fact, there's been a lot of days and you say, well, preacher, you sound like you got weak faith. Sometimes I feel like I've I've got the least amount of faith of anybody up there at the church I'm at. I've been there 30 years now. We were, uh, of course, went through a building program 10 years ago, built a new sanctuary. And I'll be honest with you, I put them off as long as I could. I didn't want to go into a building program. Now, this is the kind of pastor I am. They kept pushing me, preacher, we need to build, we need to build, we need to build. And I'll be honest with you, I just pastor poor people, and I know how much it costs to build, and we had saved some, but I I said, fellas, I'm going to just be honest with you. I ain't got a lick of faith, but I said, if y'all want to build it, go ahead and do it. Now, ain't that some kind of leader right there? I said, uh, I said they told me how much money we're going to have to borrow. I said, I, I have no idea how we'll pay it back. But I said, if y'all want to do it, go ahead and do it. I said, I ain't got a lick of faith. But then again, I read in the Bible, I'm in pretty good company because the disciples on board a boat one day, Jesus said, how is it that you have no faith? Got news for you right now. You can stick out your chest about your faith all the time. But somewhere your faith will be tested. And I didn't see, and even though I, I told him that, I knew, I knew that God would supply our need and God, 
Uh, matter of fact, in one fell swoop, God, uh, we borrowed, we ended up having to borrow a half a million dollars. That's all. But for mountain folks, I, it might have been, it might ought to have been 20 million. But I'm going to tell you how God works. Six months after we were in that building, there was a man and woman had come to our church. A man had invited them. They had been lifelong Roman Catholics. Both of them got saved. I had no idea what these people did for a living. But six months after we were in the church, we borrowed $500,000. One day I got a call. said, come up here. Can we come and talk to you? I said, sure. They walked through the door. The man handed me a manila envelope. And he said, uh, I said, what's this? He said, open it and see. I opened it up and there was the note paid in full for the loan of $500,000. Now that may not mean much to you. You may have that much in the bank today. But when you grew up on a dirt road in East Tennessee and you didn't even have indoor plumbing early on in life, that's a real big deal. But Lord, I tell you, there's been a lot of times I've been confused and there's been times I've faced situations that I didn't know what I was going to do. But I'm glad in the midst of the foggy times of life, there's a God that'll help carry you through. You say, preacher, what is it about uh, being in the fog? Just remember this. When you find yourself in a fog, number one, remember this. Just remember to stay the course. That night as we were driving, me and my wife were driving, and, and all of a sudden we encounter a fog. I know all the landmarks on the road, but I couldn't see them that night. I know I've traveled it so much, I've got it memorized, and yet in the midst of a fog, I couldn't even tell exactly how far we were up the mountain. I couldn't see anything around me. And all of a sudden, the familiar had become unfamiliar to me. And here I am in the, but in the midst of that, I'll tell you what I didn't do that night. I didn't look at my wife and say, honey, is the road map in here? Get the road map and see if we can find another road. This one's got fog on it. Can I say to you, there's a lot of folks in our churches when the storms of life come, they go to looking for other roads and other, other avenues and they're trying to find another way to go. But the fact of the matter is, I'm glad he's a God when the sun's shining and he's God when the fog is there. I'm glad there's a God. If you'll just stay the course with God and do his will, he'll help you. I had a young preacher call me. About five years ago, he had been at his church about 10 years. And he called me and said, Preacher, could I talk to you? I said, Sure. He said, I just need to know something. He said, How do you know when it's time to leave a church? <laughs> I mean, a young pastor, 10 years in one place. And uh, he was discouraged because there wasn't much happening. And he was, you know how, you know how it is. And I thought, I'm the wrong one to call. I've been 30 years in one place. I ain't figured out when it's time to leave yet. But anyway, I told him, I said, uh, I was trying my best to help him. I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, when you went to that church, did God make it clear to you that you were to go there? Was it in your heart clearly to go to that church? Did God put it in there? He said, yes. I said, then it'll be no different when it's time to leave. God will make it clear. And I said, son, if he ain't made it clear, you just need to buckle down, 
Just stay the course. Just do what God has put you there to do. And he did just that. And now the last five years, God's been blessing him and God's been helping him. I'm going to tell you something right now. You may be on a foggy road right now and you're trying to figure out what direction can I go? What can I do? I'm here to tell you, I'm glad there's a God that'll help you stay the course in the foggy times of life. You say, preacher, what else should I remember? Just remember, stay the course. Number two, slow down and wait on God. I had been driving that night and speed limit 65 miles an hour on most of that road. And I had been on cruise control. Y'all know what cruise control is. Man, you ain't really paying attention to nothing. You put that, I lock it right on the speed limit. I've had too much of that blue light fellowship beside the highways in meetings down through the year. In North Carolina especially, uh, they pull me over and they say, now where are you in revival this week, preacher? Them speed traps and Barney Fife's everywhere. And I, now listen, I support law enforcement. Don't you mistake me. But I'm going to tell you something. I, I set it right on. I, and, and I'll tell you, you get enough tickets, you'll do that. And uh, I'll never forget what the funniest event ever happened to me with a state trooper. One night I was headed to the Winston-Salem again to preach and I'd been in the, at the Johnson City Hospital all day long with a family who had a dying family member. That's an hour drive for me to the hospital and an hour back and then I had a two-hour drive ahead of me to go preach that night and I was already worn out. I was coming down a hill and it was late in the afternoon and I'm driving up through there. All of a sudden I see a state trooper coming up this side of the road and I'm like a, I'm like a, a convict. I get a nervous twitch when I see a cop car. And I immediately looked down at my speedometer to see what I was doing. And sure enough, I was over the speed limit. So I, as he passed me, I watched him in the mirror and I saw him go past me. And all of a sudden, I saw him turn around. Well, I just went on down there and pulled over. You know you have suffered trauma when you just go ahead and give up. You just pull over and wait on him to get there. The old boy pulled in behind me and flipped on his lights. When he came to the window, I already had my license registration out the window, and he just took them and went back. He began to write the ticket, and he came back up, and he said, Now, Mr. Fletcher, he said, uh, if you want to go to the court and fight this, you can't. I said, Yes, officer, I understand. Uh, and Mr. Fletcher, I clocked you doing this. I said, Yes, yes, officer, I understand. And then he asked me a question. He said, Mr. Fletcher, could you tell me something? where are you going this evening dressed like you're dressed? And I said, well, officer, just to be honest with you, I said, I'm a preacher, and I'm headed to preach in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and I've been at the hospital all day with a family. And I said, preacher, I just wore out, and I was coming down that hill, wasn't paying no attention. And I said, I just, I just wasn't paying no attention, and that's why I was doing it. When I said that, that officer, he stepped back from my car with that ticket in his hand, and he threw both hands up in the air. And this is what he said. Oh, my God, I'm going to hell. I just wrote a tired preacher a ticket. That's literally what the man said. There's a part of my flesh wanting to say, you might be right, you're going to hell if you don't tear that thing up. <laughs> but I'll be honest with you, I felt sorry for the old boy. I started consoling him. I said, no, officer, no. I said, man, you're just doing your job. You're trying to keep people safe. He said, preacher, I can't tear it up. I've already wrote it. I said, I never asked you to tear it up. 
I did want to say, now you look at my face. If you ever pull me over again, I get a do-over. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, sometimes you get in them foggy times a lot, and you, you have some adventures on the highway. But I thought about that, that idea of slowing down. That night as I was in the fog, I'd been on cruise control. But all of a sudden, you ain't comfortable doing 65 miles an hour when you can't see two feet in front of you. So I slowed down. And I don't know why I do this, and you may do this too. Somehow or another, when you get in a fog, you feel like if you stick your head up in the windshield, you can see better. So I'm like that little old 90-year-old woman driving her car with her head stuck up in the windshield so she can see better. And I'm driving along. I'm poking along. I'm doing about... 35 miles an hour and I'm going through there and all of a sudden I see a set of headlights coming up behind me in the side mirror and that guy ain't doing 35 miles an hour. He's still doing 65 in that fog. And man, he came up and now, choo, he was gone out of sight just like that. I looked at my wife. I said, did you see that idiot? Now, don't, now listen, don't act to me like you ain't never seen an idiot on the road. You passed a few on the way over here today. I said, he's going to get somebody killed driving like that in this fog. And then my wife had to interject logic into the conversation. She said, well, honey, said he may have had some fog lights. I said, thank you, Captain Obvious. <laughs> in other words, she's saying he may have been better equipped to navigate the fog than you were. As a young preacher, that used to mystify me. Some folks would go through trials and they wouldn't miss a beat. Some folks would go through great tragedies and it seemed like they just kept plodding on. Then some folks get a hangnail and they fall down and try to die and want everybody else to die with them. But you see, the thing about it is we don't all go through fogs the same way. We're all geared different. We're all wired different. But I'm glad in the midst of the fogs of life when you can't tell which way to go and you don't know what to do, just slow down and wait on God in the midst of your fog. Or you say, preacher, what should I do? Stay the course. Slow down and wait on God. Number three, you need to use what God's given you and supplied you with to navigate the journey. I'm thankful that those automobiles have headlights on them. At night you're driving, I'm thankful for that. But those automobile manufacturers knew that you'd be out there at night sometimes and you'd be in a fog and those lights have got high beams and they've got low beams. That night it wasn't a high beam night. Matter of fact, those low beams helped you see right in front of you. And I thought about how many times we live our lives on the high beams. We're looking far down the road. We're going to plan this and we're going to plan that and there's nothing wrong with that. But the truth of the matter is there's times that we're going to have to live our lives one day at a time, one step at a time, one hour at a time. There's going to be times when you get in the foggy times of life, you're going to have to depend on what God's given you to navigate the journey. I had been in a revival meeting and I'd come home one night it was in the summer months, and, and this had been many years ago, and I'd driven a good ways, but I got home. I was winding down. I felt like I could probably go to sleep. My family was already in the bed, and finally I felt like I could go to sleep. So I got up, and I began to turn off the lights in the living room, and the hallway that leads down to my wife and I's bedroom, I just flipped off the lights, and I was walking down the hallway in the dark as I was headed to our bedroom, 
in the pitch black dark, and all of a sudden there was a light flashed in front of my face. And I stopped a second. I said, what was that? Am I seeing things? What was that? And then all of a sudden it did it again, and I recognized that a little old lightning bug had gotten the house. Y'all know what a lightning bug is down here in Mississippi. Now, if you're from up north, that's a firefly. But I believe I'm far enough south, y'all know what a lightning bug is. And I was standing there in the pitch dark, and I was watching that little old bug flash, flash, flash. And then all of a sudden, I got the biggest blessing. I said, you know, that little bug is in the same darkness I'm in, but it ain't bothering him near as bad as it is me because he's got the ability to create his own light. And then the Holy Ghost got in the conversation. Said, yeah, he's got light in him. And then about that time, the Holy Ghost said one more thing and said, and you do too. That's exactly how you can explain it. When you go to the hospital, some little saint of God whose body's racked with pain, and you go to encourage them, but you leave encouraged because when you get there, they ain't talking about their problem. They're just talking about how good God's been to them and all the blessing God's given them. And they're like that little old bug, flash in the midst of the darkness, flash in the midst of the darkness. He's been good to me. Oh, he's blessed me beyond measure. Hallelujah to his name. And they're just using that light that God's put in them to navigate the journey. I'm glad we're in a dark world today. I'm glad sometimes it seemed like the light. Some of them saints of God that's going off the scene. I just went to the funeral service on Friday. A brother T.D. Burgess, brother Burgess, 92 years old, was in the ministry 76 years. And brother Burgess and a lot of those men are going off the scene, especially up in our area. And boy, it seemed like this world's getting a little darker. But then I get to thinking about it. The same light he had in him, the same light some of those other men had, I'm glad God's given his light to us and he'll help us navigate the journey, amen. You say, preacher, what else should I remember? Just remember, use what God's given you to navigate the journey. Last of all, and I'm through today, when you find yourself in a fog, remember to set your sights on that that never changes. That night as I was driving, I couldn't see the landmarks. I couldn't tell how far I was up the mountain. But I did know that there was a line at the edge of that highway that had been drawn. And if I'd get my eyes on that line that had been drawn, and I knew it wouldn't change. I knew I could navigate my... <laughs> Let me tell you something right now. As a young preacher, I had learned a lot of things, but I learned this. We're living in a changing world. Matter of fact, from the time I took the church 30 years ago to what it is now, culture has changed so much. Sometimes it's hard to navigate. But I found this to be true, something that hasn't changed. When I pick that blessed book up that I carry, it reads the same today as it did 30 years ago when I started out preaching. I'm glad I'm holding to the hand of an unchanging God. Your life will change if you live long enough. But I'm glad there's a God that'll help you. I, I used to know a little lady when I was just a young preacher. She was in my home church. 
And she was one of them little saints that would bless your heart so much. She's one of them little praising women. Her name was Annie Short. She rode the church van to church. And uh, little Annie, she wasn't loud and boisterous, but when the choir get to singing, little Annie, she'd sit back there in a pew, and she'd, the choir get to singing, and she'd raise her little hands, and she'd clap them, and, she'd, and you'd hear her go, Woo, praise the Lord. Woo, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And as a young preacher, as a young Christian, that used to, I mean, that jump all over me. I'm talking about the Holy Ghost. I'd get close to her. I said, Lord, whatever she's got, give me a little bit of that right there. And she was a blessing. God called me to preach and sent me out to pastor. And, and I'll be honest with you, Annie was up in years, and I hadn't seen her in a while. And I, somebody said that they had had to put her in a nursing home over an hour away from us in Bristol, Virginia. And I didn't even know if she was still living. I'd been out pastoring almost 10 years. And so I didn't, I didn't even know if she was still living. But anyway, our, our church goes to our local nursing home and we sing for the residents and try to minister to them. And we'd been there to the nursing home that night in, in the town that I live in. We'd finished up and we were walking out of the nursing home. As I turned the corner, I looked down the hall and there was a little lady standing there holding on to a walker that looked familiar to me. And I looked, I did a double take, and I looked at my wife. I said, that looks like Annie Short. And my wife said, I don't know if that's Annie or not. And I, I said, it looks like her. She said, well, last I heard, she was in a nursing home in Bristol. I said, that looks like Annie Short. I said, I'm going to go down there and see if it's her. And I walked down there, and this little lady standing there holding on to the walker and I walked up to her, and I got down to where she could see me, and I said, Annie, is that you? Annie, it's Preacher Fletcher. You remember me? And it's like there was nobody home, nothing, no emotion. She's standing there staring into space. And I, I leaned over and said, Annie, is it you? And no response whatsoever, and I thought, I'm mistaken. This is not her. This is some lady that looks like her. And I started to walk off. And when I started to walk off, it's like the Spirit of God said, don't ask her if she knows you. Ask her if she knows Jesus. And I walked back. Hadn't been any emotion up to this point. And I leaned down and I said, Annie, do you love Jesus? And all of a sudden I saw a twinkle in her eye. And them little hands came up off of that walker. And I later found out she'd had a stroke and couldn't talk. But I thought about how her life had changed. She's no longer riding the church van to church. She's not cheering the choir on while they sing. Now she's standing in a little lonely nursing home and nobody around that seemed like even cares. But I'm here to tell you, praise God, she had her sights set on that that never changes. I'm glad it'll do at the nursing home. I'm glad it'll do at the hospital. It'll do at the graveside. Hallelujah to his name. When you find yourself in a fog, just set your sights on that that never changes. Father, thank you for what you've done for us today. I pray that you'd help this meeting now. Help Brother Merritt and the folks. I pray, give them exactly what they need, God. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Preacher, you come today.